There is a really cool gift idea that you might be aware of if your social media feed is anything like mine. It's available at thenightsky.com, and this company will create a custom star map of what the night sky looked like on any night from the year 1900 on, on any place on planet Earth. All right. For example, here's a picture of this is what the night sky looked like on the night that Debbie and I got married. Right? So if we looked up in the sky at night um, from our little cottage on our honeymoon, uh, that's uh, what the night sky looked like. And what I find interesting about something like this is that it commemorates both an event and the place and time at which that event happened. It, it's, it's both, because it locks it in, it, it's, this, it's unique, right? This, this is what the sky looked like in this place at that time, that night, right? Um, but the ultra cool thing about this is that you can designate a place or time um, and an event that, where, where you were not present, but it still affects your story. Let me give you another example. Let me show you another one. Here's what the night sky looked like in Joplin, Missouri, on August 14th, 1972. This is the night my dad proposed to my mom. I wasn't there. (laughs) But it profoundly affected my story. Like, started it. (laughs) Right? So, um, it, it wouldn't surprise you, I don't think, to hear that there are things that can happen in other parts of the world, in times that you're not present in, that can affect your story. Places and times we've never been can profoundly affect us, and today you're going to get an example of that. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, 13 to 20 is our text today. Thank you for being here. Happy New Year to you. If it's your first time here at Chapel Rock, my name is Casey. I'm the lead pastor. I would love to meet you. When we're done, I'm planning on being down front if you want to come down and say hi. For those watching online, thanks for logging in. Appreciate you doing that. Uh, like Gene mentioned earlier, in the room, online doesn't matter. Fill out your connection card. That just that helps us disciple you. That's our mission, and, uh, and we want to be able to do that, okay? Um, I think it's pretty cool that we get to start the new year off right Uh, by being together with the Lord's people uh, and and gathering and and spending time in worship and prayer and fellowship and studying his word. And and I just want to say, because I think it's significant, um, I'm not surprised on New Year's Day that there are more people in the 11 o'clock service than the 915. (laughs) That makes sense to me, uh, and I just want to note that. Uh, But I'm glad that you're here today because we are starting a brand new sermon series today that I have been looking forward to for I'm like, how is that even possible? I will tell you. This series is called You Are Here, okay? Uh, This past fall, I had the opportunity to go to Israel, and um, that trip was originally planned to happen in the summer of 2020. I think we all know what happened then. So it got moved to the spring of 21. Nope. (laughs) And it got moved to the fall of 21. Nope. And then it got, they just said, you know what, let's just do fall of 22. And so we had a chance to go uh, last year to Israel. And I had planned on doing this series in the fall of 2020. And so I have been looking forward to this for like two and a half, three years now. I've been wanting to do this series. Because I think that what happened in, in Israel's geography of grace can affect our story here and now in Indianapolis in 2023. Our You Are Here place today is Caesarea Philippi. 
It's the closest town, okay? Caesarea Philippi is in the north of Israel, uh, right near the border with uh, Syria and Jordan. Let me show you a map. This is from Google. This is uh, modern day, obviously. So it's the little, uh, you know, marker up there. Um, You can see way at the very top of the map is Beirut. That's Lebanon. And then off to the northeast there is Damascus. That's Syria. And you can see, you know, obviously Jerusalem and Israel in the south. Caesarea Philippi is actually located, I mean, it's right near, you can see like the other two countries from there. It's right kind of in the corner, north north corner of Israel. Um, You know, Mount Hermon actually has peaks in all three countries. When you go there, you can see this. Now, in, in Jesus' time, um, it was, of course, it was all Roman Empire and different territories. Let me show you what this looks like in, in Jesus' day. It's a little washed out. I'm sorry about that. Um, so you can see the Sea of Galilee right there in the middle. Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, is down there, underlined on the, on the left. Up high is Caesarea Philippi, the red underline. And then the, the bumpy stuff around it, that's, that's Mount Hermon, okay? Um, in Matthew's telling of the gospel... Jesus, uh, you know, he'd been up in the region of Tyre and Sidon. You can see that's that part that sticks out. There's a little label in the sea. It's a little black dot up there. Um, It was an island, actually, originally. And Alexander the Great, when he came through, he just said, uh, you know, they were bragging like, no, 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 you can't get us. He's like, watch. And he he built a causeway out to it. So now it's a little promontory out there. But... uh, you know, so Jesus had been up in there. He comes back down to the Sea of Galilee. That's where you get the feeding of the 4,000, all right? And then he goes down southeast of there a little bit in the region of Magadan, hangs out, comes back, goes around the lake a little bit more, and then he tells the disciples, guys, I think we need to get away for a little R&R. Let's go up north. So he goes up to this region of Caesarea Philippi. This is major Gentile country. Not a lot of Jews around here. And you're going to see why in a little bit. And and we come to our text, Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed, it's the same word as the Beatitudes, it's this divine congratulations. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, a euphemism for human beings, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, there's a word play there, we'll talk about that, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the Greek word for hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now that rhythm in a sermon is what we're used to here at Chapel Rock, right? I set it up, we read the text, we talk about what it means. And that's great, but what I really wish I could do is just take all of you with me to Caesarea Philippi to talk about it there. So we'll just do the next best thing. Watch. Okay, guys, you are looking at the gates of hell. We are at Caesarea Philippi. This is the place where Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus blessed him and said, you are Peter, Petros, 
And on this rock, Petra, the Greek word for rock, I will build my church. Right in front of the gates of hell, Peter said, you are the Christ. Right in front of this place, people, this was a temple to the god Pan. People would bring their children here and they would throw them into the waters. This is one of the sources of the Jordan River. People would throw their children into the water. And if the child sank, it meant that the pagan god Pan had accepted their offering. They killed their child. And if the child floated, it meant that Pan had rejected their offering. The kid still died. This is the gates of hell. And Jesus tells his disciples that when they confess him as Lord, they can raid hell. Some of you are like, wait, what? What did he just say? <laughs> you heard me. That's our big idea this morning. When our words and deeds confess like Peter's, we can raid hell. Not raise hell, raid hell. Note the diction. Now for that to make sense, and for the rest of this message to make sense, I need to tell you a little bit more about this place of confession. Caesarea Philippi, the community, was a, a city located about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It is the easternmost of the three headwaters of the Jordan River. In the video you saw, that, that cave, in Jesus' time, there was actually a source of fresh water that came out of there. Okay? It has since moved underground. It comes up somewhere else. But in Jesus' time, there was actually water flowing out of that cave. Um, and it's cold, and it's fresh, and it's good water. The site today is called Banias, right? It comes from the, the Greek word paneus, and over time, the B and the P kind of shift into each other. Um, and and it's the, it was dedicated to the Greek god of nature, Pan. If, you've, if you ever remember your Greek mythology from high school, Pan had the upper body of a human, little horns, right, and the legs of a goat. If you, uh, Mr. Tumnus from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia is, is a, a fawn. They, that's what Pan looked like in Greek mythology, all right? He's the grandson, according to the Greek mythological system, of Zeus, Right? He was the god of, of the forest, he was the god of kind of wild places, um, but he was also like the god of, of uncontrollable fear that would come upon travelers in lonely places. In fact, our word panic comes from his name. He was not a good god, not, 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 not in charge of anything happy. <laughs> and, and this place was called the gates of Hades in Jesus' time. It was believed that this temple to the god Pan was where Pan would access Hades, the Greek word for hell, the underworld. <laughs> for the purpose of, of doing, he was also in charge of like fertility and stuff like that, and so like for fertility rites and to talk to the other gods, and it, it, was, a, it, was, some, it was bad news, man. This was heavily Gentile territory. There weren't many Jews in this place. And it is in this place, in front of the gates of hell, that Peter makes this powerful confession of who Jesus is. It's a confession that you likely either repeated or affirmed on the day you were baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you're going to have an opportunity at the end of our service. This place known as the gates of hell is where Peter confessed the messiahship the, uh, the, and lordship of Jesus. 
So I want you to imagine this, right? Jesus and the 12 have been working hard, doing ministry around the Sea of Galilee. They head up north where nobody knows them for a little R&R. We're going to get away. Nobody here is going to know who we are. We're going to just, it's, and it's, by the way, this is still to this day a beautiful place. It's actually one of Israel's national parks. Here's the brochure, right? Like, like it's, it's called Bonius, and it's a, people go camping there, and it's lush, and it's green, and there's, there's mountains. It's really a beautiful, beautiful place. And they go up there, and they're hanging out, and Jesus is beginning to kind of tease out of his disciples, do they really understand him? Do they really understand his mission? And so he says, who do people say that I am? I mean, relative to culture, who do people say that I am? And they, they, they go through the list, right? And then he turns it on him. He says, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter makes this great confession, right? And then in verse 18, Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I mentioned the video, there's a word play in Greek. You're Petros, and on this Petra is the Greek language. Now, in Aramaic, which is likely the language Jesus was speaking, it's the exact same word. Same thing. So what does he mean when he says rock? What's Jesus talking about? Well, I, I think that there's a lot to point to him referring to Peter in that. Maybe not quite as much as our Catholic friends think. <laughs> that this is Jesus designating Peter as the first pope. Uh, I can't go there. But he's clearly giving him a, a leadership role in this moment. I think it's more a, a, because of him talking about uh, binding and loosing and opening and closing later, I think it's more of a reference of what he's going to do on the day of Pentecost and what he's going to do with Cornelius, opening the gospel to Gentiles. It's, it's probably more reference to that than anything else. So he's, he's talking about Peter. When he uses the word rock, he's, he's talking about Peter. A lot of people have said, well, it's the confession. It's the substance of what Peter said. That's the, that's the rock. It's what, what Peter acknowledged. I think there's something to that. The grammar doesn't indicate it. The context doesn't indicate it. But I think absolutely, yeah, you can, you can look at it that way. But I think there's even more here. And when you go there and you see this place, all of a sudden it's kind of this, you know, to quote Gru, light bulb, right? Like, oh, oh. And now, I, listen, I don't want to put the background in the foreground. That, that's bad interpretive practice. But I don't think we should ignore something that would have been common knowledge to Matthew's primarily Hebrew readership. When, when it says Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, all of Matthew's primarily Hebrew readers are like, ooh, what's he doing there? That's where they worship that pan dude. When Jesus says this rock, what if he's pointing at that? That's a nice big rock. You can see, it's kind of the wide shot. That cave is, is um, this, this place. <laughs> There's, you know, I've, I shot the video kind of on the opposite side, beyond those trees. But what if, what if he, he's pointing here? <laughs> what if Jesus' response to Peter's confession is the, sub, the substance of what Peter said? Yes, I think it's that. What if it's, his role in the church in the future? Yes, I think it's that. But I also think, yes, he's talking about this rock. 
He's saying that on the, on the gates of hell, I will build my church on this rock. In other words, the mission of the church is to raid hell. The church's mission is to take on hell and by the power of a blood-stained cross and an empty tomb, win. You see, the events and places where God's story happened make our story better. That's a consistent claim through this series. You're going to hear me say that over and over again. When it comes to Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi, the question that I think begs to be answered is, well, what does he... what? What does what Peter said there and then have any impact on my life here and now? Okay, cool, it happened. It's part of our baptismal formula. Neat. So what? Well, I think there's actually a lot to that. I think the so what is pretty profound. And just like those night sky website things that map out the stars on a special place and time that I showed you earlier, I think this passage maps out three constellations that help us navigate our lives. Here's the first one, Constellation 1, that our words and deeds should confess Jesus. Our words and deeds should confess Jesus. What I mean by that is that we have to say that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, and we need to live like the Bible is who Jesus says he is. It's both. It has to be both. And I don't know about you, but I've met people in my lifetime who who seem like they could only do one or the other. Have you met people like this? Like, they could talk a great game, but their life didn't match. And I've met people who lived a righteous life, but God help them to say anything about it. And I have to be totally transparent. On my worst days, I can be either one of those guys. Your confession is not just what you say. It's how you live. Listen, if your life makes people doubt your words, you're not confessing Jesus. And if your words are non-existent relative to your good life, you're not confessing Jesus either. Our words and deeds have to match. Peter receives Jesus' blessing because his words are right, and so are his actions in that moment. (laughs) And when our words and deeds about Jesus match, amazing stuff can happen. This was illustrated beautifully during the pandemic in a little town you probably never heard of, um, called Gustavus, Alaska. Um, Gustavus is remote in a place that only Alaskans can really get. There, there it is right there. So it's on the archipelago there. It's, it's a, about a seven-hour boat ride from Juneau, the capital. In 2019, the uh, state legislature of Gustavus stopped ferry service to that town. So the only way in or out, there are no roads. There are no roads. So the only way in or out of that little town of like 650 people is like four-wheeler or a horse or boat. That's it. And in 2020, when the pandemic shut down supply lines, they couldn't get food. Now, there was a guy named Toshua, like Joshua but with a T, Toshua Parker. And he would regularly, pre-pandemic, uh, make this, uh, either, you know, this ferry ride. He owned a 96-foot-long barge, and he'd get on his barge, and he'd go to Costco, and he'd buy up stuff, and he ran, like, the, the gen- remember the old days of General Store where they just, everything? It was, it's everything. It's kind of this little town's everything store. 
It's food and dry goods and all, all sorts of stuff, screws and nails and hammers. I mean, it's everything. So he'd go to Costco, he'd load up his barge, he'd come back. And, and that was pretty normal. But then they couldn't get any kind of shipments of anything once the pandemic hit. And, and so he did the only thing he knew how to do. He loaded up the barge, with, and, he went, and he, he went to Costco, and he basically, out of his own pocket, paid for food for his town. In fact, they call his little store there Toshko. <laughs> and, and, and you go, well, of course he did. He's a businessman, right? He's out to make money. Well, he is a businessman, but that's not his mission. You, you, you don't brave a seven-hour ferry ride in a bar, or seven-hour barge ride in high seas to, because you want to make money. You do it because you care about people. His mission isn't to make money. It was to feed his town. His words and deeds matched. And ours need to also. So that's the first constellation, right? Our, our, our words and deeds about Jesus need to match our, our confession. Here's the second constellation that should guide us, right? Is, is don't let your expectations confuse you. Don't let your expectations confuse you. The sad reality of our own expectations is that they can confuse us. We get in our mind one thing, and reality's not that way. You've probably all been in that situation where you expected one thing to happen, something else happened, it was really confusing. It certainly was for a guy named Eric Stagno. Back in the summer of 2018, um, he walked into a Planet Fitness gym and promptly proceeded to remove all of his clothing. This is true. Walked around the gym for a little bit, right? People are complaining. And then he found a yoga mat and just sat down. The police come, they arrest him for indecent exposure. <laughs> and, they, you know, they ask him, like, you know, and there was no other, big, you know, no big deal about it. And they, the, why did you do it? And his response was, I thought Planet Fitness was a judgment-free zone. <laughs> That's their slogan. Um, Eric, that's not what that means. <laughs> you, you can't walk around naked, right? You, it, he allowed his expectations to confuse him, and now Planet Fitness has to burn a yoga mat. Um, sometimes our, our, that happens to us, right? We expect one thing and something else happens. Peter's confession was spot on. Literally, seven verses later, Jesus calls him Satan. <laughs> seven verses. Now, we don't know how long of a time gap there was, right? It could have been days. It could have been weeks. So, so Peter has this great confession. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I'm sure Jesus' face was beaming when he said that with joy. Ah, oh, he's starting to get it. Seven verses later, Jesus says, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die. Peter, it's like, no, Lord. Have you noticed how many times he told Jesus no? I want you to hear me, church. You can tell Jesus no, and he can still use you. If you've told Jesus no before in the past, he can still use you. He sure did for Peter. Peter told him no, like a bunch. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die. Peter says, no. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Seven verses later from our text. Think 
about how this text starts. Jesus is feeling out how much of his mission his disciples understand. He's asking them, do you get it? Do you understand what I'm here to do? And they got part of it. But the next part of Matthew tells us that they still had some faulty expectations. That's why in verse 20, Jesus orders them, don't, don't tell anybody. Why would he do that? And I'll tell you why. Because he did not want his culture's expectations about who the Messiah was supposed to be to color his actual mission. Because the people had all these expectations. They were cultural, they were religious, they were political about what the Messiah would do and what the Messiah was about. And Jesus, some of them were accurate, but not all of them. And so he's like, hey, don't tell anybody because he wanted to make sure that he could define his own mission so it would be successful. Listen to me. If you think the primary reason that Jesus came to earth was so that you would be happy and healthy and wealthy, you got the wrong Jesus. And if you think the primary reason that Jesus came to earth was so that that he could tell everyone to be nice and not judge people, you got the wrong Jesus. And if you think the primary reason that Jesus came to earth was just to go on blast mode and tell every sinner everything they've ever done wrong, you got the wrong Jesus. Do not let cultural expectations define who he is. You have to listen to who he said he is in this book. Do not let your expectations confuse you. Part of being on mission for Jesus means making sure from Scripture that what we expect of him is based on what he revealed about himself. When we let him do that, we'll stay on mission. We'll stay focused. There's one more constellation, I think, that can help us navigate our confession. Constellation number three is that our confession keeps us on mission. It keeps us on mission for Jesus. Every Sunday, we conclude our service with a benediction. If you're new here today, we're going to do this in a little while. We're gonna, when, we're, when we're done with the service, we're all going to stand up, and everybody says the same thing because it's a reminder of what we're about, that we want to see people here on the west side of Indianapolis experience the wholeness, the peace that only comes from Jesus because it keeps us focused on that mission. That's why we do that. If you're new, like it might feel a little weird at first, but it's just for our congregation, it's a constant reminder of what we're supposed to be about. That as people are are surrendering their lives to Jesus, they're continually being changed into his image. Peter makes a brilliant confession. I know that that Jesus was beaming when he said this. And, And here's the significant thing. Peter's confession actually implies a whole packet of truths it's only a few words, right? Six, six, seven, eight words. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's not, not long, but the implied truth behind that is huge. There's a whole packet of this. Look at what Peter's confession assumes, right? First of all, it assumes there's a God who's real and alive. Secondly, it assumes that this God has relationship within himself as Father and Son, Theologically, we would go on to add and the Spirit, right? But there's this father and son, this relationship. Third, that he has come to earth in space and time to be our Messiah, our Savior. It assumes that. Fourth, if we need a Messiah to save us, then we're not natively in a right relationship with God. And then fifth, the good news is that the presence of a Messiah or Savior implies that there is a way of salvation. Peter only said a few words, but it is packed 
It is packed with theological freight. That confession, that packet of truths has continued to focus and energize the ministry output of the church for the last 2,000 years. And church, we are at our best when we keep those truths at the forefront of what we say and how we live. It's both. It has to be both. Peter had to learn to prioritize his confession over his expectations. And when he put his confession over his expectations, he stayed on mission. So how did he do that? He had to remember Jesus promised that the mission would succeed. Let's go back to this whole gates of hell thing. Jesus told the 12 that the gates would not prevail against the church. And for so long, when I read that passage, I thought what Jesus meant, I thought what he meant was that despite all of Satan's attacks, the church would prevail. We would last. We would be able to withstand that. That's true, but it's not what he means here. That's, that's not wrong. We will. We will, we will sustain. We'll be able to bear up under that, right? That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 to wear, put on the full armor of God. But that's not what Jesus means. Not here. You see, in the ancient world, gates were defensive. The city gate was where you defended your city. If Jesus is telling his disciples that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, that means that the church is on the attack. It means that the church's job, the church's mission is to raid hell. And by the power of a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb, we will and we will win. That's our mission. And every time we make and we live this confession, we hack away at hell's power. Every single time you speak and live like Jesus is Savior and Lord, you raid hell. How does what Peter said 2,000 years ago at this place, some of you have never been, affect my life? Oh, oh man. This will keep you focused on your mission. That's how it affects you. Every day it encourages you to, to speak and live like Jesus is Savior and Lord. And when you do that, you raid hell. Matthew writes this to establish the disciples, especially Peter's growing awareness of Jesus' mission. And he's trying to show they're not totally in sync yet. They'll get there. But they don't quite yet realize what God is going to do to redeem all humanity through Jesus' death on the cross in our place for our sin. And what he's telling us through this is that we need to confess Jesus' Messiahship both with our mouths and our lives so that we stay focused on the mission and fight through the clutter and confusion in our culture about who Jesus is. So let me ask you, if you had the opportunity to be there, to be in this place. I don't know what time of day this happened. Maybe it was at night. To stand there one night and Jesus were to say to you, what about you? Who am I to you? Could you stand there under the night sky that looked like this the night I was there? <laughs> Could you stand there and say, you are the Christ, my Savior, the Son of the living God? If you could confess that in front of the gates of hell, 
Why is it so hard at the grocery store? That's what this means for us. When our words and deeds confess like Peter's, we can raid hell. It's the first day of a new year. And my challenge for you on January 1, 2023, is to begin to look at your year and let your life and your words about Jesus match up. To begin to look at this year and think, how can I raid hell this year? Not raise hell, raid hell. What can I do to take back some of God's property that Satan has claimed? And maybe you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to do this. You've never claimed Jesus as Savior and Lord. In just a second, we're going to sing a song together. And I would invite you to come forward and do that and be baptized. Receive God's Spirit to live inside you. If you've never made that decision, man, do not walk out of here. Start your year right by being a disciple of Jesus in obedience to baptism. But if you have... My challenge for you this year is to make a decision right here and now to recommit yourself to taking back for God what Satan has in, in, um, you know, improperly taken as his own. Make, this, make and live this confession. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me to respond as God leads you today. If you wanna have a conversation with some of them, one of our elders is gonna be in the next step room. Uh, if you just want to chat with someone not sure what that is for you, you'll have that opportunity to. Let's sing together as God leads you today.